pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this awesome day that you've given us to come together, your children in this place of worship that you've given us to meet. Thank you for your precious word, your seed that goes into our hearts and let it take root and bear fruit in our lives. Let no one leave here the same. Thank you for the anointing that has, you have placed upon me, Lord, to, to preach the gospel and to disciple your children uh, as they learn and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, becoming as he is in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Forgot my sword. <laughs> Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 44. This is a parable that our Lord Jesus told. One scripture. Very powerful. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then... In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. If you put yourself in that situation or kind of over in the... If you know the history of the Middle East, I'll put it like that. My cousin here has been over there many times. Thank God he's back and safe and... Not driving back and forth to El Paso every week either. <laughs> but the middle of the, the world over there, as they know it, is, is never been uh, really settled for many thousands of years. Filled with chaos and war and turmoil. And so you can just picture this man, if you're wondering why this treasure might be hidden in a field... Maybe there was an invading army coming. And he went and hid his treasure in this field. Maybe he was going off to war. And he hid his treasure in this field. We don't know. But you can see a time or occasion or situation where that might take place. Thousands of years ago. Some reason, whatever reason, he never made it back. Maybe he was killed. Who knows? But then a man comes along and he finds that treasure in the field. Realizing its vast worth, he buries it, he covers it back up with dirt. And then he does sort of a, a shrewd thing, a, a wise business move. He goes and he finds the owner of that property. He buys that field... It may not have even been for sale. He probably paid what seemed to be to the locals too much for that land at the time. But once he owned it, then he went and dug up his treasure. Smart guy. 
This is a spiritual picture, type and shadow. That field is a picture of the world, the entire world as we know it. The man who bought the field and therefore the treasure in it was God himself in the man Jesus Christ. The treasure is you. The church. The true believers in Jesus Christ. You're his chosen treasure. And the price that he paid for that field, a seemingly worthless field at that, destitute and not really worth anything in his eyes as a whole, but to get the treasure that is in that field, he paid everything, all that he had. God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to buy the field, this world, just to dig up the treasure that would be the true believers in him. Jesus saw this in his foreknowledge. He knew that a remnant of people would receive him as Lord and Savior. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. For something so precious and so special that he was willing to give everything. And in Acts, the 20th chapter, he gives a warning to me, the Holy Spirit, the author of this book. He says, take heed to yourself and to the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you an overseer to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Important stuff. The gravity, you can feel it. How, how important. That is to him. How important you are to him. Ephesians 1.7 In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of his grace. He purchased the whole world. But not everyone is going to receive what he did. 
Obviously not. And he doesn't want robots. He wants a family that chose him for him. And it was worth it to him. So the church is hidden. Buried amongst the world. Scattered among the world. And I realize that this is the task that he's given me. A small part to help. You can imagine treasures have been buried for many, many years. It's, 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 uh, it needs to be cleaned up a little. Just a little. God had a plan of salvation worked out before even the world was created for you. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 5 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, past tense, blessed us with all spiritual blessings. We talk about this all the time. Everything is already granted unto you in Christ. In heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. That's what he wanted. Knew what he was doing. It talks about it again in Romans 8. God knows in advance those that are going to accept Him, His offer of salvation. The Scriptures teach that we believers were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now that's, that's something to get your mind around. That's how infinite God's ability is. We were chosen in Him before He even put the world together. We're holy and without blame because God sees us Through Christ. God only. God looks at the seed. Adam. Corrupted. Fallen. Seed. Or Jesus. The last Adam. And so now when he looks at you. He doesn't see. Fallen man. Corrupted. He sees pure gold. He sees Jesus. Because you are in Him and He is in you. And no one can snatch you from His hand. You're a king and a priest. Forever. Serving and reigning and ruling with Jesus Christ. I'm trying to, I'm trying to make a point here. These are not just words in some old book. Written by men about God. This is a book written by God himself to you. And he's trying to tell you how much he loves you. And how important you are. But we have to assume our true identity in Christ. That's what we've been talking about. Walking in our true identity. Instead of. Being deceived by the God of this world, little G. He said, that's interesting, Pastor, but I, if I remember one thing from last week, you said you're going to talk about sin this week. I am. But the Lord took me on an interesting journey when I was seeking Him about this message. 
Because he, his intent is never to condemn, it's to help. And to receive his help, you have to understand his love for you. And so he wanted me to spell that out first through that brief little parable. First Corinthians chapter six says, don't you know you that the saints. Now, that's just not who the Catholic Church decides is a saint. Everyone who's ever received Jesus Christ is a saint. Do You know that. The saints will judge the world. But you didn't know that. Do you not know that you will judge angels? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 3. Feel the gravity of that? This is who you are. So, based on the love that God has for you, the price that... You know how you determine something's value? The price paid for it. So knowing that God paid all, how do you see yourself? You're important. You're special. God says so. He created you with a special purpose in mind. His plan for my life isn't perfect for you. His plan for your life isn't perfect for me, but His plan for your life is perfect for you. And He loves you, and He would do it all again. If it was just, if you were the only coin in that treasure field, He would have done it. So, why don't we sin anymore as Christians? To earn God's favor? To earn relationship with God? Absolutely not. Jesus did that for us. And if you're trying to be good enough, you're never going to make the cut. You better base your inheritance, your rights and privileges and eternity on what Jesus has done on your behalf. You'll have a lot more confidence in what he did than what you'll ever be able to do. And remember what I said last week. If you're basing it on your goodness, your good deeds, the enemy is always going to remind you of that one place where you're lacking. And he's going to judge you, condemn you there. You need to reject all that. And just realize who you are to God and let him continue on with his plan for you. I'll give you three quick reasons. Why we don't sin as Christians. And then I want to go to something that would seem out there a little bit. But this is where God told me to go today. I think it's going to bless you. Amen. Amen. So bear with me. You're with me so far? Yes, sir. All right. The first thing is that we don't sin because it's not who we are anymore. It's really just not your identity. When you are truly born again, now there are millions of Christians who don't know God. They're just religious. 
But if you really know the Lord, if you've been born again, you received Him as your Lord and Savior, you're not who you were. You died with Christ. You were buried with Him. Remember when you baptized? Raised to new life. That's symbolic of what happened internally, spiritually. You had a change operation. The kind that God approves of. He took that old, carnal, corrupted nature of Satan out of you that just came with you. Yes, you sinned. And the price for sin is death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But you were going to sin because you came with a sin nature. Ever since Adam and Satan entered in and corrupted that seed, everybody born of him, which is everyone, except for Jesus, has come with that sin nature. And when you receive Jesus, he came in and he evicted that old sin nature and he perfected, renewed your spirit and then sealed it with his Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. One third of you is complete. Now you're and you're a three-part being, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, spirit, soul, and body. Now your soul, the part of you that you do know, can discern with your natural senses, is being changed as you come into agreement with God. And then this vehicle that you ride around in, it'll be, you'll get a new one when, uh, whenever you go to be with the Lord. Incorruptible. But it's not who you are anymore. Your nature has changed. So, if you continue to try to live like the world, you're going to find yourself miserable and just feel like something strange is happening to you. Because you want to do the bad thing, but no, no, no. Remember last week I tell you, no, I'm going to be mad at her. No, ah, forgive her. I just, you know, I can't, I can't be the old ugly person anymore. Not for long. But the Lord told me the other day, he said, you know, it's good that you come and apologize to me every time you, you get cross with her. He goes, why don't you start trying to go to her first? Okay. I always go to him first. Lord, I'm so sorry. I let you down. Sorry. All right, now go tell her. <laughs> the second thing, and because, because of that, though, because it's not who you are, sin doesn't control you. Remember that old saying, the devil made me do it? Well, it might have been true, in a sense, before you were born again. But now, Romans 6, 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but under grace. So for those who think that grace is a license to do whatever you want, do the best you can, Jesus did the rest, that's all so silly. The grace of God has freed you from that evil concupiscence, that overwhelming desire to do evil. And now you're free. Free to live and love and serve God. Amen. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The second thing is a legal reason. In the spiritual realm, it's all there's a war going on. 
You're in it whether you want to be or not. And ignoring it just makes you lose. But there are legal reasons. The Bible says that the, the enemy goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What is that all about? Because he can only, he has no more authority. His teeth have been pulled. Jesus has already won the war. But the devil, <clears throat> he can get some authority if you give it to him. God created everything in this world with his words. He gave us dominion. We gave it in the garden to, to the devil. Jesus got it back. And now in him, we have all authority. We're creative beings, just like our father, who created everything we know with his words. And we create too. We can create for God. Good things, beautiful things in our lives. Or if we listen to the devil and believe his lies, he'll get us to do some creating for him too. And unfortunately, many people are deceived into that. So it's like a big legal battle going on. But he only do what he's allowed to do by this. See, God is so holy and so good that he holds himself accountable to his own word. So for a time, the devil is in charge in this realm but the bubble that we live in is Christ. The protection that has been offered by God, not, de not demanded that we take it, but if we do, and as long as we walk with Him, we have a great amount of protection and covering. Romans 6.16 Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So when we sin, we're opening doors of opportunity, windows of opportunity into our lives for the devil, into our relationships, into our finances, into our jobs, into whatever it is. You may be doing very well in most areas of your life and you've agreed with God in all those situations and there's one thing over here. You just keep letting that old devil in. Stop agreeing with him. Just repent. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's a promise. A promise from God, not from me. The third reason is your witness and that's a big one. <clears throat> You ever heard of Gandhi? If you know much about him, he has a he was in prison in exile, I think, in Africa for a time. While he was there, he read the Bible, he believed it, he wanted to become a Christian. When he was released from prison, he went to a some missionary church over there. I'm not gonna say the denomination, doesn't matter. They wouldn't let him in. They wouldn't let him in. And he said, for the rest of his life, he said, I would have been a Christian, but then I met one. We shouldn't let that be our witness. We don't want to be the stumbling block for anyone. Jesus is not a, a private affair. These people kill me with their, their nonsense about, well, my, my religion and my... Their Christian life is a private thing, you see. 
That's, we were never called to a private Christianity. It's supposed to be very vocal. We're supposed to be excited about what He's done for us. And if you really see the spiritual picture, the war that's going on, and, and that everyone born apart from the Lord is dead, and is going to be apart from Him forever, wow, you wouldn't want to keep it private, would you? What you have, and they don't. Your worst enemy, the, the best thing that could ever happen is that they find out about Jesus and agree with Him and let Him change their heart. The best way, though, this is what the Lord has been talking to me about. The best way to apply these truths about not sinning, because none of us really want to sin, especially if you know the Lord. So, don't just tell me what not to do. Tell me how to do it. Help me. Give me some understanding. The Lord said, the best way for my people to embrace this and apply it in their lives is just to allow me to love them, first of all, to believe it, to believe who they are and how much they're worth to me, fall in love with Him like He loves you. And then learn the fear of the Lord. And that's what I want to talk about for a minute before we close here. When, when people hear the fear of the Lord, they kind of go, huh? I thought you were a grace preacher. That sounds like some Old Testament thing. I don't want to be afraid of the Lord. I don't want you to be either. But people have these connotations of what that means. I know because I hollered down the stairs today from my office for my wife to to get up the, the diagram for the for the bulletin and I was telling her look up look up images for the fear of the Lord huh fear of the Lord and that's exactly how most people think about it when they hear that <laughs> so, but let me tell you what it doesn't mean how's that it's not a worldly fear it's not worldly fear. It's not dread or terror. That's demonic. That's a demonic spirit. And I know dozens and dozens of people who struggle with that. And I, they can be free if they want to be. But it's definitely not that. That sort of fear has to do with punishment or torment and Jesus has already accepted the judgment for us, for our sins. Amen. We don't have to be afraid of God in that way. You're going to be judged, but not at the white throne judgment where you're going to hell with the rest of the world. Your works are going to be judged for rewards and losses. And you're going to go as through the fire and, and all the things that were... Remember last week about motivation? Which, why? Why did you do that? What's your motivation? The things that weren't... Of God, they'll burn up. But you'll still pass through the fire. Maybe smell a little like smoke. She'll be okay. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in heaven than anything in hell. Second Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen? So what is this? Fear of the Lord. Well, Proverbs 8.13 says, first of all, the fear of the Lord is 
is the hatred of evil. How many of you really just don't hate evil? Most people do. Then he goes on to say, Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate. That's what God said. Proverbs 8, 13. But really, the fear of the Lord is a is a respect and awe from which we get the word awesome. He's awesome. And we need to know that. It's a tremendous admiration. Gratitude. Reverence. I remember, well, you can go to some places. It's called church. And you're very... What I thought was reverent, quiet and still, that's not reverence. That's homage. It's not reverence as we're discussing here. There's, there's really no reverence for God without revelation of God. Of His love for you, as we discussed. The best example is always to look at the life of Jesus. And that's what I want to do. Because in his life, you see the complete package of the fear of the Lord at work in his life. What's known as the sevenfold manifestation of the Holy Spirit. You see in the book of Revelation, it talks about the seven spirits of God, the seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. Well, let's take a look at those. To do that, you can go back in the Old Testament and take a look in Isaiah. Isaiah is the first, what they refer to as the major prophets, right after Psalms and Proverbs. Isaiah chapter 11. Starting at the first verse, and I just want to read this to you. This was all working in the life of Jesus, and that's what Isaiah was foretelling, prophesying about the coming of the Lord. There shall be, or shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. This is talking about the Messiah would be someone from the house of David, from that line. That line. Verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. This is talking about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in the, the third person of the Trinity, talking in the first person as God himself, you'll see in the book of Acts. And that's who he is. And that's what rested upon Jesus. And that's part of this. Number two, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord there they are all seven the spirit of the Lord the spirit of wisdom understanding counsel, might, knowledge the fear of the Lord verse 3 
of all those things that Jesus walked in the fullness thereof. Look in verse 3. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. Notice his delight is in the fear of the Lord. Not, we're not called to, a, we're called to a life of faith, aren't we? We're not supposed to go by what we see or what we hear, but most of us do. It's like we're all from Missouri, but that's not pleasing to God. And Jesus didn't live like that. You need to document these things in your heart. Jesus lived in a constant state of seeking God, the Father, His will, His desires for what He wanted Him to do. Jesus being fully God, when He was here, He made Himself a man. He laid down all the rights and privileges of the King of all the universe when He came here. Why? Because He had to become like us to be our kinsman redeemer to deliver us. God gave dominion, authority, and power in this wor world to man. They gave it away. Only man could get it back. According to God's holy word. And Jesus did that. The only thing that he relied upon for his power... And all these other things I just listed was the Holy Spirit. The very same thing that God wants you to rely upon. Nothing else. So, how do we do that? Psalm 34, 11. God says, come, O children, listen to me. So who are his children? Everybody raise your hand. He says, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. That's Psalm 34, 11. Verse 12. What man is there who desires life? Raise your hand when this applies to you. Man or woman. What, what man is there who desires life? Nobody. And loves many days. That he may see good. Man. Then there's an instruction. Verse 13. Keep your tongue from evil. And your lips from speaking deceit. God's mentioning that again. Our speech is very important. Are you starting to gather that? It goes along with our thoughts. Then the Bible teaches that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. God doesn't like evil speech or perverted speech. We sh we're not supposed to be willful or arrogant or fearful in a negative way like I described before. Not impatient. We're not supposed to be. 
We're not supposed to be unteachable. Think we know everything. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. God is saying that you may know a lot of things. You may have all of the knowledge and wisdom of the world. You could go out to Berkeley and learn every single thing they could possibly have to teach you. But without the fear of the Lord, you haven't even begun to be knowledgeable or wise in God's eyes. Why would you send your kids someplace like that? If they get there with faith, their only objective is to make sure they don't leave with it. Proverbs 3, 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Poor old Job. I really like the way it's summed up in Job 28, verse 28. Job is right before Psalms and Proverbs and a couple of other minor little deals there. Job 28, verse 28. And he said to man, God said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Wisdom and understanding. We're supposed to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wisdom is a very, very special, precious thing. Let me see. Something is coming to mind here regarding that. I think from the third chapter of Proverbs. We're almost done here. But I really want to make this trip. I want to drive this home because it's very important to our success as as Christians. Be not wise in, where I was a moment ago in Proverbs 3, 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And listen to these promises. Verse 8, the next verse. It will, in other words, if you do this, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will be bursting with wine. I try to tell people this. New Christians especially, they need to after a little bit of a honeymoon phase, they need to realize that they need to trust God with their finances because Jesus said, if you don't do that, you're not going to understand any of my teachings. If you don't trust me with that, you're not going to trust me with all the other things I need from you. And I have people tell me all the time, oh man, we're really struggling. We're so broke. I said, do you tithe your money? No, can't afford it. If you don't tithe 
I don't know this sounds very self-serving. That's why it's hard for preachers to talk about these things. But if you don't tithe when you don't have a lot, you're not going to do it when you have... When you, when you have a little, you're not going to do it when you have a lot. I know my wife and I, since day one, thankfully she, her mother was a giver, so it wasn't a big thing to her. But when I really got born again and we fell in love with the Lord, we never have looked back on that. Now if I get a $60,000 check, the first $6,000 check goes straight to God. And I don't blink. But you know what? <laughs> there's always supernatural provision. Always. And that's what God is promising right here. He's saying if you'll do these things, it'll be healthy. Who doesn't want that? My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. And listen, He doesn't discipline us with some of the things. Most of the problems with Christians come from up here. God doesn't put divorce on us. God doesn't put sickness on us. God doesn't put strife in our home and, and all these ugly things. He doesn't kill your spouse to teach you a lesson. God loves you. And if you submit to Him, He'll teach you through His Word. If you don't submit to Him... The devil is the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the open doors to him in your life, that's what's causing all the death to be produced in your life in all its various forms. God loves you. God paid all for you. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Psalm 25, 12-14. This is a great, great place and I'm finished just give me two more minutes who is the man who fears the Lord Psalm 25 12 through 14 hold on John him will he instruct in the way that he should choose this is a great great promise right here the guy who fears the Lord or the gal who fears the Lord, God says, him I'm going to instruct in the way that he should go. How many of you would like to be taught by the Lord? When I was called by God and I knew he was calling me to ministry and I ran every direction I could and argued with him every way I could when I finally submitted I said the only way I, I said I'm already too old you know every example this is 10 years ago but I, I said I, what do you want with me there's a good church on every corner and anyone that comes to me I'm just going to tell them you need to go to this church, or this church he says not what you think not so much I said well this one says this and this one says that Look at all the divisions and denominations. That's just the divisions of man. God's not divided. I said, how am I supposed to know unless you teach me? Matter of fact, I'm not doing it unless you teach me yourself. I figured that was my way out. Do you know he honored that request? He has never let me down. 
Anything I started praying about or wondering about, He would get me the answer supernaturally. Whether through a teaching or a revelation, a dream, or a person. But He would send me the answer and I began to realize He's teaching me Himself. He's like that. Awesome. Psalm 25, the next verse, 13. His soul, the person who fears the Lord, his soul shall abide in well-being. This is the peace everybody's looking for. And they can't figure it out with sex, drugs, or rock and roll. Money doesn't fix it. And his offspring... How many of you have kids? Or you want to have kids someday? His offspring shall inherit the land. This is the land of promises that we've entered into. He's talking about. The Hebrews went into the promised land. We've entered into the land of promises. The provision is in the promises of God. You will abide there. In the shadow of God's wing, dwell in his safety, remain in well-being and and look the benefit for your children. If for no other reason, you should do it for that. Having a relationship with God is great, not just for you, but for those that love you. And finally, Verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. And He makes known to them His covenant. This to me is the greatest thing of all. To be considered a friend of the Lord It's the greatest honor in my life. And I can tell you, he knows how to be a good friend. Even when you don't. And he doesn't change his mind or throw you away. When you're not a good friend to him. He keeps on being a good friend to you. Lord, thank you for helping us to know you better. Helping us to learn to walk in the fear of the Lord as you did when you were here. And to grow in all of these things that we've discussed here today from your precious word. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to become your friends and to know how much you care for us and to place you at the center of our lives, of our marriages, of our work. Of every part of our lives, Lord. Trusting you and knowing that it is a benefit. It means everything. 
And if we want to be successful in this brief life that you've given us here, we need you. We need you in a bigger way than we've ever allowed before. Help us with this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Love you and thank you all for being here. If anybody needs prayer, I'll be right over here. Amen.